Welcome to the Every Nation Dorado Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Today we'll be talking about the Namibia we are believing God for. And I'm really excited about today's sermon. But before I do that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that we can spend in your word, Lord. Lord, thank you that you are clear about what it is that you want for us as your people and what it is that you want for Namibia, Lord God. Lord, I pray as much as it is me that is speaking, Lord, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do your work in the hearts of your people, that you will mold us and that you will shift us and that we will do, Lord, as you want, that we would catch your heart, Lord, for Namibia. And I pray that your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go on to the first slide. And the results, drum roll. President Hagi Gaienkorp has won re-election with 56.3% of the votes. So let us give it up for President Hagi Gaienkorp. Number two, Swapo has, taken, has retained control of the National Assembly with 65.5% of the votes. Um, and that means that they have 63 out of 96 seats uh, in the National Assembly. That means that they have control of the National Assembly. And PDM retains the official opposition role with 16.6%. They've increased from 5% to 16.6%. And that means that they have 16 seats out of 96. So congratulations to them, to Swapo, and to PDM. And I won't lie, I'm disappointed. Okay? And not for the reason that you might think. The reason that I am disappointed is because of those who are eligible to vote, only 60% showed up. Okay? And I can say I'm disappointed because I voted, right? But that is disappointing because it means that out of 1.35 million people, about 500,000 people chose not to vote or did not vote. And so from that point of view, um, this is something that all of us need to accept. All of us, including those that didn't vote, have to accept that these are the results of the election. And as a church, we do not preach disorder. We do not preach chaos. Because God is not a God of chaos. He's God of order. And so from that point of view, as a church, we thank God for the peace that we have in Namibia. And I want to thank you Namibians, all of you, for maintaining the peace. And I want to pray 1 Timothy 2 verse 2. And I want all of us to pray this. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And we pray this over our president, we pray this over the leaders that are in the National Assembly, and we pray it over every single one of you that is a leader in whatever sphere it is that you are in, because we are all have a leadership role in some shape or form. And in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And we are God's people. We are the ones that are called by his name. We are the ones that are going to humble ourselves despite whatever the outcomes may be. If you are disappointed here today, we move on as a country. And we say that we speak unity and we speak oneness. We speak with one voice. And politics is not just about what happens on a particular day. It wasn't just yesterday that involves politics. And that's what we've been trying to preach from the pulpit as well. That politics is something that is in your daily life. It's happening all the time, all around you, including in my house, right? My little ones, I've got a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. They're engaging in politics all the time. The seven-year-old will tell the four-year-old, listen, you better listen to me. I'm in charge because I'm the eldest. That's politics. And the four-year-old will submit. Why? Because there's an authority structure there. And it is a godly one, right? In the same way that I am the head of my household. So politics is happening all around us all the time. And the thing is, government is something that impacts all of our lives on a daily basis as well. So we shouldn't just be activists and verbal when election time comes. 
We need to continue with this fight. And what I like about what President Hage said in his uh, Twitter um, acceptance is he says he recognizes that this was a tough fight and he hears the people of Namibia. Right? So, he has lost a lot of ground between this election and the previous election for many reasons. And he says that he hears the people's voice and what it is that the people have said. So we will hold him to account when it comes to that. Amen? Amen. And this is something that I want to point out. Government is one part of our society. And there's something that we refer to as a seven mountains mandate. And all of us operate in multiple mandates all the time or at different times. And what we've been preaching about is government, but we also have other spheres that we have an influence over. So we are all part of a family. Amen? And so in that family, it is our job to influence and to change the atmosphere in that family with a godly atmosphere. And it's the same thing is true for the media. The same thing is true for art, entertainment, and sport. For commerce and science, businesses. Same is true for government. The same is true for religion. Same is true for education. I am involved in education every day. I have children, and it is my role as their dad to ensure that they get a good education. And that happens outside of my house and inside of my house. Amen? We are all engaged in social media, right? And over the last month, it's been very entertaining to see all the memes and the Twitteratis that are going about. And some of it has been really interesting. Some of it has been really entertaining. But not all of it has been edifying. Not all of it has been fostering unity. And we'll address that today as well. Brief recap. So part one, your vote counts. We spoke about a theocracy and a democracy. And what we exercised this week was democracy. But what God is in charge of is a theocracy. He dictates what is right and wrong. He dictates what is moral. He dictates who his church is and what it is that our mandate is. He dictates and it's not for us to question him. Yeah? He is the ruler supreme. And then we spoke about the first election in the Bible, which was through Moses in Moses' time, where he needed to establish a new order so that he could be more effective. And what was awesome about that, this happened on the 1st of November, we spoke about what is a godly leader, someone who is competent, someone who fears God, somebody who is truthful, somebody who is unbribable. And this is what we spoke about on the 1st of November. And I want to point out as well that Mark gave a prophecy in October that said that um, revelations about corruption would come out in waves. This was in October that he announced this, that he prophesied this. And so we are seeing these waves coming about. But it is for us as the church to stand up and to be the prophetic voice of God in our nation and to speak truth and to speak righteousness and to foster unity. And we'll talk more about that today. Part two, and I love this message, was about what are the principles for government. And it is that God delegates government to humans through self-government. We establish the government. The people establish the government. Democratically elected leaders under a charter of liberties. These leaders lead us. We choose them. And they are there to establish and to enforce the Constitution, but they do not give us our rights. We have inalienable rights that are from God, not from the government. Government does not decide who may live and who may die. The right to life is a godly right. It is not the government that gives you those rights. It is God who gives you those rights. Then we spoke about decentralized government with limited jurisdiction. I showed you a picture there with seven mountains. Government is one of those mountains. It is not the alpha and the omega of our society. Government should be limited in their jurisdiction. And their primary role is the administration of justice. Number five, education, job creation, and welfare are not meant to be the roles of the state. I said to you earlier, it is my job to make sure that my kids get a good education, whatever that looks like. And education starts when they wake up in the morning till I kiss them goodnight in the evening. 
education is happening all the way through. It is our job to create jobs for other people as business people and as people in the private sector. It is our primary mandate, not the government's. Welfare is our role. We have We Care, and I hope that you are bringing your cans of goods for those people in our society that are vulnerable. We have um, hospital ministry. And next week, we have an opportunity. Please sign up. Please come. Please bring a box so that we can go and bless those who are less fortunate than us. It is our role, primary role as the church, to be in charge of welfare. Unlimited submission to the state is not the teaching of the Bible. There is an order to things, though. So we do not preach anarchy. So we submit ourselves to authority, but where that authority is in contravention with the Word of God, God reigns supreme. Right? And then finally, prophets and reformers have a vital role to play. And that is the role that I'm trying to fulfill here today, that I am fulfilling. That we will prophesy and we will reform this society by the words that we speak and the way that we conduct ourselves. So today we're going to go to the, the primary text, which is Genesis 37, verse 12 to 17. And it's the story of Joseph. Before I read that, I will want to tell you about who Joseph is. Joseph is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, Joseph was an archetype of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's the first archetype in the Bible that reflects who Jesus was going to be. He was betrayed by those closest to him, and he was punished unjustly. He's an archetype of Jesus. And Joseph had 12, he was one of 12 brothers, and he was his dad's favorite son because he was the son of his dad's favorite wife. And you can imagine, right? Like there's already a bit of a tension thing going on, right? And his dad was not even shy about saying that he's my favorite son because what did he do? He gave him a beautiful coat of colors. And he said, here, my son, now everybody will know that you are the best, that you are the one that I favor above the rest of them. And Joseph wasn't necessarily like the wisest, I think, as a kid. I think that he was probably a bit arrogant, probably a bit puffed up about this. Because as a teenager, if your dad is putting this on you, maybe it goes to your head a little bit, right? So his brothers were not necessarily fans of his. And so this brings us to this point in the story. So, then his brothers went to, uh, yeah, then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Say Shechem. Shechem means shoulder or fellowship. Remember that. And Israel said to Joseph, this is Joseph's dad, said, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So Joseph said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the, val out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him there, and he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. Say Dothan. Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. And Dothan means two wells. So Joseph was going out to have fellowship with his brothers at Shechem. He was going out to bring them good news, to bring them news of their father and to find out how they are doing. He probably went with supplies. He was going in a good spirit. And he wanted to have fellowship with his brothers. But instead he found them at Dothan, at two wells. And two wells here is... If you know what happens next, his brothers see him coming from a distance. And as he's coming, they see his multicolored coat. And they say to themselves, here's that fool that thinks he's better than us. You know what we should do? We should kill him. We should kill him. And we should tell our dad that an animal just took his life. And so he, he arrives, meets his brothers, and they capture him. They throw him in a pit, and they're plotting about how it is that they're going to murder him. And then things shift and they sell him into slavery. And at this point, Joseph was presented with two options. To drink from the well of reconciliation or to drink from the well of bitterness, unforgiveness, which he had every right to do. From a human point of view, he had every right to be offended, to be hurt, to be vengeful. 
or he could choose to go with reconciliation. So we're going to go through four phases in his life. And the first one is he was put where he doesn't want to be. He came there for fellowship. He came there for good news. He came there with supplies. And he was put in a place that he didn't want to be. It says in Genesis 42 verse 21, distressed and anguished in his soul, begging to be released. He was begging his brothers, please guys, don't do this. I don't deserve this. This isn't right. And from there he was sold into slavery. His life was spared. He was sold into slavery. And he found himself in Potiphar's house. And what did he do in Potiphar's house? He didn't murmur. He didn't complain. He did what it is that all of us should do. He had the attitude that says, put me anywhere. He had a put me anywhere attitude. Zig Ziglar says this, your attitude, not your aptitude. Your aptitude is your intelligence or your giftings, will determine your altitude. Your attitude, not your aptitude, will determine your altitude. And many of us don't ask to be put where it is that we are put. So in Genesis 2 verse 15, this is God now, and he put Adam in the garden. God took him and put him in the garden. Put means is nuach in the Hebrew, which means to rest, allow, find rest, give rest, lay, lay down, put, set down. And put me anywhere attitude says that wherever it is that I find myself, that is where it is that God has placed me. If I am following him, if I am obeying his word, if I am in him, he has placed me where it is that he has placed me. Did you ask to be born to the family that you were born into? Did you ask to be a Namibian? Maybe some of you did, huh? <laughs> Philip right here. But for the rest of us, most of the time, we find ourselves in situations that we did not ask for. We get put in places. But we need to be like Isaiah when he says in 48 verse, uh, verse 17, I am the Lord who knows what is best for you and who leads you in the way that you should go. Do we have a put-me-anywhere attitude or do we have the attitude that says, Lord, anything else, anything but this, please, put me in a less stressful place. Put me in a place uh, where the leadership is godly. Lord, why can't we be more like Europe? Why can't we be more like the US? Why can't we be more like the Chinese? Why can't we be more like whoever? Lord, why is it that we have to deal with corruption? Why is it that we have to deal with morally unfit people? Why is it that we have to put up with incompetent leaders? Why is it, Lord, that I have to have this job? Why this job, Lord? Lord, why don't I have a job? Give me a job, any job, Lord. Lord, why don't I have money? Lord, why don't I have prestige? Why can't you put me in a more important place? God, put me anywhere but this place. But how many of you would be like Joseph and say, Lord, put me anywhere? The key to understanding true freedom is being able to distinguish the difference between what is chosen for you and what you get to choose. Let me read that again. The key to understanding true freedom is being able to distinguish the difference between what is chosen for you and what you get to choose. So much of our life is chosen for us. And those are the things that we oftentimes murmur and complain and push up against. But Joseph didn't choose to be put into a pit and sold into slavery and serve in Potiphar's house. He didn't choose those things. But he said, Lord, put me anywhere and I will do your will. I will have the right attitude. I will do everything in my power to work as if I'm working for you, Lord. Number two, put where he doesn't deserve to be. So now, Joseph, godly man, sold down the river, ends up in Egypt as a slave, does everything right, guys, everything right. And what ends up happening? He goes to jail. He was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. 17. He served in Potiphar's house maybe about 9 to 11 years. And in all of that time, Potiphar trusted him with everything. 
Joseph was second only to his master. He entrusted him with everything. And what happens? The master's wife tries to tempt him and tries to sleep with him. And as a godly man, he says, I cannot sin against my master or against God. I could never do this. And he does everything right and he does righteous things. He doesn't have the benefit of the New Testament where it says, when you see temptation, flee from temptation. But what does he do when temptation comes? He flees. He runs away. He leaves his coat behind with Potiphar's wife. And what does she do? She accuses him of rape. He did everything right, guys. And maybe you've done everything right. Maybe you've done everything right and you think to yourself, I don't deserve what it is that I have. What's been, what's been done to me? I don't deserve to be in this position. I don't deserve to be laughed at, to looked at, spoken down to. I deserve so much more. And as Namibia, I would ask you, do we deserve apartheid? Did we deserve colonialism? Did we deserve all of the things that were done against us? Did we deserve sla slavery? Hundreds of years of oppression? Do we deserve the kind of society that we live in right now where it's not safe for a woman to be in her own home? Does that woman deserve that? Do those kids deserve that? But let me ask you this. Do you deserve anything that you have? Do you deserve the job that you have? Do you deserve the car that it is that you drove here in? Do you deserve the job that you have and the money in your bank account? Have you earned everything that it is that you have? Have you sweated and are you where you are purely because of your own efforts? Let's read about Joseph. Genesis 39, 20 to 23. Then Joseph's master took him, put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it prosper. How can it be that it says that God was with him? Even in prison, God was with him. Did Joseph deserve to be there? No. But what did he do? Did he murmur? Did he complain? Why was he given more responsibility? Because he looked good? He was a prisoner. He didn't deserve anything. His rights had been stripped from him. And at that point, he could have acted how many of us probably would have acted, with bitterness, with contempt, with anger towards God, with venge vengeance burning a hole in his stomach, cancerous, eating away at him, thinking about all of those things that were done against him that he didn't deserve. Everything up until that point, he had done right. And he still found himself in a place that he didn't deserve to be. But what was his attitude? God, put me anywhere and I will serve you. Put me anywhere and I will do what's right. Here's another man who didn't deserve what he got. Here's a modern day Joseph. Mandela was put in prison for 27 years. For what? For rape? For murder? For lying and stealing? He was put there because he was fighting for equality. Not for more than... I just want to be seen as equal. That's all. That's all I'm fighting for. Me and my brethren. And he was locked up for 27 years. What was his attitude in prison? In a long walk to free freedom, it says, and I'll quote him, it says, At night, our prison cell looked more like a study hall than a prison. So what Nelson Mandela did is he lobbied and he petitioned and he was a thorn in the flesh of his keepers. And he said, listen, please, 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 just give us books. That's all we want. We want to study. And so at night, after they'd been digging holes in a quarry all day long, tired, blisters on their hands, what would they do at night? They would study. Many of them, the prisoners, got tertiary degrees 
while they were on Robben Island. They weren't there bitter and complaining and murmuring. They were working themselves to the bone at night, I mean during the day, and at night they were applying their minds and studying, getting a degree. Mandela is a modern-day Joseph, and he went from the prison to the throne. And this is where we find Joseph in the third phase of his life. God put him where God wanted him to be. And Pharaoh said of Joseph, remember, Joseph was 30 years old at this stage. So 17 years old, he's sold into slavery. 13 years later, he has this dream burning in him, inside of him. He has this dream and this vision that God gave him that he would be a ruler one day. And 13 years later, it comes to fruition. And Pharaoh says of this man who was a slave, who was a prisoner, Pharaoh says of him, can we find anyone like this man in whom is the Spirit of God? And the amazing thing about Joseph is at that point when he met his brothers eventually, and I want you to take this into account as well, when he met his brothers eventually, it was nine years later. So he was 30 years old when he was put second in charge of Egypt, and nine years later, he meets his brothers again. And what would happen to you in nine years if you were put in charge of Namibia? Would you be puffed up? Would you be self-important? Would you have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder? Would you say to yourself, well, I deserve this. I spent 13 years in a pit. It's my time. I'm going to make sure that everybody knows just what a great man I was. I am. Right? For 13 years, I was humiliated. I was made to be a second-class citizen. But now I'll show you guys. Now I'll show you. And then what does he do? He meets his brothers after nine years. And what does he do? He says to them, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He places his crown at the feet of God, and he says, God is the reason that I am where I am. It's not my own doing. It's not because of who I am. It's not because of what I did. God placed me here so that I could save many lives, including yours. And this is the fourth phase in his life. And this is amazing, guys. This is amazing. He's now finally where he wanted to be, at Shechem. He's finally where he wanted to be, in fellowship with his, bro his brothers. Finally, he gets to embrace them and hold them and say that, I want to just be your little brother. I just want to be your friend. He throws his arms around Benjamin and wept. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. He could have drunk, drunk from the well of bitterness, of unforgiveness, of I deserve better. And as Namibians, we can also drink from that well. As Namibians, we can also drink from the well of it's not our fault that apartheid happened. We can also drink from the well that it's not our fault that the government hasn't done this, that, or the other thing. We can also drink from the well that says, listen, look at all this corruption that's happening around us. We don't deserve this. We didn't ask for this. We can all drink from that well. Or we can choose to drink from the well of reconciliation and drink from the well of saying, let us be united as a people. Let us move this nation forward. Let us not dwell on the things that we cannot do, that we did not choose. Because some things were chosen for us, but we get to choose differently. And because of that, because jo Joseph chose to drink from the well of reconciliation, he fulfilled God's plan for his life, and he finally gets to have fellowship with the ones that he wanted fellowship with for so many years, because he chose to drink from that well of reconciliation. But remember also that his brothers also chose the right well, because when they met him after 22 years, they could have drunk from another well as well. They could have drunk from the well of self-pity, of shifting the blame. They could have drunk from the well of anger. They could have drunk from the well of um, not confessing their sins. 
They could have drunk from the well of victimhood. It wasn't me, it was my other brother. I, I, I really wasn't going to kill you. I really was. I was trying to advocate for your release, but unfortunately, they could have drunk from that well, but all of them drank from the well of reconciliation. They embraced their brother, they asked him for forgiveness, and they bowed the knee to him, and they admitted where it is that they went wrong. 29 years ago, this nation was birthed in a dream. And that dream was for a new nation, a nation that had never existed before. Up until that point, it had been Southwest Africa, and in 1990, we became Namibia, officially. It was a fight that was fought over many years. Many lives were lost, many homes were broken, and we still carry the scars as a society of that fight. And there was a dream that was put forward by the founding fathers of our nation. And one of them is President Sam Nyoma. And in his inaugural speech on the 21st of March, 1990, he had this to say. And this is important, guys. This is prophetic. This is at the birth of the nation. And it's towards the end of his speech, and he says this. And I'll try not to do it in his accent. To the Namibian people, I would like to state on this solemn occasion that our nation blazed the trail to freedom. It has arisen to its feet, as from today we are the masters of the vast land of our ancestors. The destiny of this country is now fully in our hands. Destiny of this country is fully in your hands. We should therefore look forward to the future with confidence and with hope. And despite everything that's happened over the last month, we need to look forward to a future with confidence and hope. But we need to understand something. Taking the destiny of this country in our hands means, amongst other things, making the great effort to forge national identity and unity. It is effort. It did not come easily. We sing it in our national anthem, the blood, of the, the blood that waters our freedom. We sing it that it came with great effort, but it also takes great effort to forge a future of national identity and unity. Our collective security and prosperity depends on our unity of purpose and action. Unity is a precondition for peace and development. And Namibia, thank you for peace. This peace that we have in this country, let's not take it for granted. And understand that that peace is a precondition for development. But we need to be united. And unfortunately, over the last month, we have been scattered. We have been loose with the words that we speak. We've been pointing to the north and saying all kinds of disparaging remarks that shouldn't be said. And the very word apartheid, what does it mean? Segregation. It means separate, kept apart. What is it that we fought for? We fought for unity. Without peace, it is not possible for the best and the talented citizens of our country to realize their potential. It is not for government to realize your potential. It is not for your mom or your dad or whoever to realize your potential. You as an individual need to realize your potential. And as a society, we need to ensure that there's peace so that the best amongst us can reach their full potential. And that's every single one of us. Our achievement of independence imposes upon us a heavy responsibility, not only to defend our hard-won liberty, but also to set ourselves higher standards of equality, justice, and opportunity for all, without regard to race, creed, or color. These are the standards from which all who seek to emulate us shall draw inspiration. Guys, equality, justice, and opportunity for all regardless of race, creed, or color. We need to pull together as one Namibia. That is how we will do better as a country. That is how we will move from here to where it is that God has called us to be. Can we just go back one slide? I want to point something out to you. Who's that guy there? Is that Nelson Mandela? Right there, with the gray head. See the white guy with the gray head and just above him, to the right, that's Nelson Mandela. This is four years before 
they had free and fair elections in South Africa. Four years before that. Go forward one slide. Little Namibia, I want to say to you guys, we are a great nation. And we were the forerunners for the unity pro project that was happening down south, for the rainbow nation and the vision that was birthed four years later. We set the stage. We showed them how to do it. We showed them what unity looks like. We showed them what it means, justice and opportunity and equality for all, regardless of race, creed, or color. We set the stage for the continent. So little Namibia, don't look down on yourself. Thank you for the peace that it is that reigns in this country for the last 29 years. And may we always strive for unity as a nation. But President Sam Nyoma saw the birth of a dream. But I would put it to you that he didn't see the fruition or the full realization of that dream. He put those words there in front of us and said, this is what we're working towards as a na nation, but we are not there yet. We are not there yet. Today we lament, we mourn the fact that poverty, that unemployment, that broken households are the norm in Namibia. That is the average experience in Namibia. Poverty, unemployment, and a broken home is the average experience. Youth unemployment is sitting at close to 50%. The majority of children are born outside of wedlock, and the majority of children are born without a father on their birth certificate. That is the average experience in Namibia. We need to mourn that. We need to mourn the fact that we have worshipped false gods and idols as Namibia. We have worshipped the false gods of our ancestors. We have worshipped the false gods of money. We have worshipped the false god of sexual immorality. And we have broken God's law. In our fight between the left and the right, we forget that there is an up and a down. That goodness, that morality, that everything that is right and noble comes from the Father above, that He establishes the order on earth. And because of that idolatry, the fruit thereof is corruption. As a nation, we have worshipped the false idols of money, and the fruit thereof is corruption. And we are all guilty because we have all turned a blind eye, we have all looked away, we have all kept quiet when we shouldn't have. And the church is also responsible because the church in the past has been too quiet, but we say no more, right? That is what this month is about, and that is what this house is about. As a church, we declare those things that are not right, and we, and we tell them to come into alignment with God's word. We prophesy over this nation what it is that we want to see for this nation. Joseph's dream was torn to pieces. His coat of many colors was in tatters. His dream was not what it is that he thought it would be. It took him many, many years of rejection, sexual temptation, violence, brutality, food insecurity. It took him many, many years to finally get out to his dream. 22 years, from 17 until he met his brothers again. 22 years. That's how long it took for his vision to come true. And then one day, God took him from prison to the throne. And he was able to liberate a whole nation and to save his family, one man. And I would ask you, where are the Josephs and the Josephinas of Namibia? Huh? Where are we? Where are the Josephinas and the Josephs in Swapo, in PDM, in LPM, and in any other political party? Where are you, jo Joseph, in the seven spheres of our society, the seven mountains of our society? Where are you, Josephs, in media, in education, in business? Are you standing up and are you being, are you being counted? One man saved a nation and saved his family. And he points us to another man, Jesus Christ. Amen? He points us to another man who was betrayed by those closest to him, denied, brutally beaten, tortured, and eventually died for our sake, for our redemption. He was raised again so that we can see a transformed society, so that we can see a new Namibia, so that we can see the fulfillment 
of the prophecies that have been spoken over this nation. We are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who will perish. We are those of this generation who will stand up and be counted. And we are believing God for a new Namibia, for a better Namibia, for all. We are believing God for a Namibia where there is revival and reformation. The gospel has gone far and wide in Namibia, but it hasn't gone deep. We need a reformed society. We need a discipled nation. That is what we are trusting God for. We are trusting God for a nation where the word of God washes over our souls to change our hearts, renew our minds, and takes the way and the will of God. Where the word of God is preeminent. We are trusting God for a, a Namibia with strong families. A Namibia where fathers come home. A Namibia where women are safe in their own homes and children are safe in their own homes. We are trusting God for strong families and for reconciliation in the home. We are trusting God for economic freedom for all Namibians. We are trusting for a Namibia where the wealth is shared. I am no socialist. And if you know me, you know where I stand on things. But Namibia has enough resources for every Namibian to go to bed well-fed and with decent housing and shelter. We can make that a reality as Namibians. Socialism does, doesn't work in the, on a societal level. It works beautifully in my home and in this church. And remember what we said earlier about the role of government versus the role of us as individuals. It is up to us as individuals to make sure that welfare gets done. It is up to us as Namibians to make sure that good education happens. It is up to us as Namibians to make sure that we protect the downtrodden and the vulnerable in our society. I'm trusting God for a Namibia that will be an exporter, not an importer. A net saver, not a net spender. A Namibia that will understand what it means to invest for the future and not rob future generations. I'm trusting God for a Namibia that will understand what her place is on the African continent and that will understand that small as we are, we punch above our weight. We're trusting Namibia that we will take care of the vulnerable, for those who are downtrodden, for those who cannot fight for themselves, for those who are naked and homeless, for those in prison, for those forsaken, for those who cannot fight for themselves, who are hungry. Jesus will judge the earth one day. And when he judges the earth, he will ask this generation of Namibians, did you take care of those who were lower than you, who couldn't fight for themselves, who couldn't stand up for themselves? Pastor Chris delivered a powerful message last week where he said to us as Namibians that we cannot ever stand for being pro-choice. We are pro-life. Those are the vulnerable in our society, those that cannot choose for themselves. We need to fight for them. We need to fight for a Namibia with ethnic reconciliation models the way. Let us show South Africa how it's done. We were doing it before them and we will do it long after. Let us show the world what it means to be united as one nation, one uh, tribe under heaven. In this house, we preach that there is no longer Gentile or Jew, that there is no longer woman or male, that there is no longer slave or free, that every single one of us are one under God, that we are all equal. Let us pray and preach that as well to Namibia. We are trusting God for a Namibia that will bless nations, a Namibia that will send out evangelists, send out businesses, export products, export our talent to the nations. A Namibia that is discipled, a Namibia that is reformed. And what I love about this house, and prophecy, guys, is a declaration. It's a declaration over your family. It's a declaration over this house. It's a declaration over the country. And we are all prophets in our homes. Not recognized in the office of prophet, but where it is that we go, we prophesy. And we can prophesy life or we can prophesy death. So be careful about the words that come out of your mouth. Especially over the last month, I've seen some really disgusting things coming out of people's mouths about individuals in this church, 
about the government, about people who are in leadership, about different tribes. Make sure that we are prophesying life as a church and not death. And I know you can't read that, so I'll read it for, for you. So bear with me. It's a long text. But I asked some people in, in our house who operate in the gift of prophecy if there's a word that they would like me to share with the church. And the first one that I want to read for you is from Pastor Chris. And I asked him this on Friday night when I was preparing. So Pastor Chris sent this to me. He said, Namibia is a light among the nations, and the stage is set for the next transformation from corruption and crisis into prosperity and strength. And I received another two prophecies, one from Shelter, who's sitting all the way in the United States, and another one from Mark. And there's such alignment in these words. So I want you to pay attention. So look at that map of Africa. And on the map of Africa, you can see Namibia, right? And there's a pot sitting there, a poiki, that's sitting on Namibia. Now listen to the prophecy that Shalta sent. And she says the key text here is Isaiah 26, verse 3. And it says, He, meaning God, He will keep in perfect peace Him whose mind is stayed on Him because He trusts in Him. So Shalta says, I sense that the Lord is speaking to our nation from this verse. My feeling is that in addition to our minds being on Him, the Lord is calling for us to keep our eyes on Him. I had a vision of a boiling pot with dirty, foamy-looking stuff rising to the surface. The stuff was removed and thrown away, but the pot was still on the stove boiling. And other stuff came to the surface and was spooned out and thrown away until only the nutritional meal remained. Namibia is at a boiling point. Things are coming up to the surface and flowing out of the pot in what may seem like a messy way, but it is part of the process. What happened with the pot I saw was once all the unhealthy stuff was removed, it tipped over, and I saw the map of Africa. The pot was sitting on, on the Namibia section of the map, and it tipped over and spilled its contents all across the borders and into Africa. Namibia will positively impact the continent, and what's happening now is part of the process to that end. There is a refining taking place for the real wealth of the nation to be revealed. The process is uncomfortable. There is tension in the atmosphere, and the spirits of fear and strife are trying to spread their cloaks over the nation. But the people that keep their eyes and minds on God will live in perfect peace. Despite everything that's going on around us, we will live in perfect peace if we keep our eye and our minds on God. We must not partner with fear. We must not partner with confusion or strife or political spirits driving the nation separately and apart. Instead, we must partner with the Holy Spirit and declare the peace, spiritual and material prosperity that is Namibia's destiny. At the moment, we are here, there, and everywhere. But I feel the Lord calling us back to the main thing. We have a mandate, and it is easy to get caught up in the atmosphere of chaos. We have a mandate as the church, and it is easy for us to get caught up in the atmosphere of chaos. But as kingdom citizens, we are called to shift atmospheres with the presence of God, to reveal Jesus to a dying and a desperate world. The Lord is calling us as a nation and as a people to position ourselves for the season shift because when it happens, there will be a series of suddenlies in people's lives, the church and the nation. He will bring it to pass. It is for us to look to Him. And then the last word I want to share with you guys is from Mark. And see that man cleaning up and mopping up the mess. And this is the word from Mark that he sent to me on Friday as well, also in alignment. God is cleaning up shop. Those things that have been done in the dark will be brought to the light. And I believe that there is a sifting happening for Namibia. However, God will be faithful to work things out for the good of those who seek him. He is calling the church at large to be united and to not be judgmental towards leaders or situations. We as the church are called to speak life. The pruning of Namibia has started, but it is for the glory of God. Change is coming, and change will take place. However, the church is being called to rise. The church will need to find their feet in the seven mountains of society, and that is where we need to actively strive to have influence. Things that come to the light may scare us, but it is all for a reason and a purpose that God will allow this 
so that the church can open her eyes to have influence. Rise up, Joseph. Please stand up. And I'd like to pray for us now. Lord, thank you for, for your word, Lord, that is clear, that always cuts down, Lord God, through heart, through bone, through marrow, Lord God, that divides between flesh and bone, Lord God. And Lord, thank you that you reveal, Lord God, to us what is our position as the church, what is our position as individuals, Lord God, and what is the position of Namibia, Lord God, for Africa and the world. Lord, I pray that every single Joseph in this place would rise up, Lord God. That we will understand that we may not choose where it is that we are right now, but Lord, that we will have an attitude that says, Lord, your will be done in my life and in this society through me, Lord God. That our attitude, Lord God, will be that of Joseph. That we will say, this was meant for harm, but God will turn it around for good. That you sought to destroy me, but I am here to raise up a new standard. I am here to protect the downtrodden. I am here to make a difference for this generation. I am here to make a difference for future generations. That I am not one who murmurs and complains. I am not one who shrinks back. Lord God, that we are the church and we will advance, Lord, against the gates of hell. That we will take back, Lord God, what the enemy has stolen from us. That we will see, Lord, the dream come to fruition, Lord God. That we will see the dream come true in our lifetime, Lord God, of econo economic prosperity, Lord God that people will not feel marginalized, Lord God, that every Namibian will know what it means to have a decent meal and a decent house, Lord God, that every Namibian will know who is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, that every, Namibia will, every Namibian will know what it means, Lord God, to pull together in unity. Lord, I pray for your church and I pray, Lord God, that where we have sown discord, where we have sown disunity, Lord God, we ask you for forgiveness, Lord. And we ask you, Lord God, that we... That, and we commit to you today, Lord God, that we will repent, that we will watch what we say, Lord God, that we will prophesy life and not death, that we will meditate on what is good, what is pleasing. Lord God, your word says that a cord of three strands is not easily broken, Lord God. Your word says, Lord God, where two or three agree in your name, that it will be done, Lord God. And as a church, we are committed, Lord God, in unity to seeing your will established on this earth and your kingdom come. Lord, I bless this church, I bless your people, and I pray, Lord God, that Joseph's in this church will rise up and be counted. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit envintook.org.